Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Pilgrim's Progress, a study in the books of First and Second Peter. Here's Pastor Nick. I'm out. You know what will happen? You will not grow. I'm not kidding. You will not grow. You will not grow. And here's why. Because you will not grow in love unless love is put to the test. And love isn't put to the test until you have a dispute and a conflict. C.S. Lewis put it this way. I love this quote in his book, The Four Loves. Here's what he said. He said this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. If you want to make sure that you never get hurt, here's what you should do. Never love anyone. If you want to avoid getting hurt, then fill your life with hobbies and avoid all entanglements. Lock your heart up safe in the casket of selfishness. But in that casket, your heart will change. It will not be broken, but it will die. To love is to be vulnerable. So this is a test. When you're wronged, when you have a disagreement, when you have a dispute with someone, what will you do when love is put to the test? How will you respond? Peter encourages us, here's how. Have the mind of Christ in you. Have the mind of Christ in you. Be committed to people. Refuse to pay evil for evil. Let God deal with them and you focus on loving. Isn't that freeing? You don't have to be the one to make everything right and be vindictive and, and make sure that everything is, is done, you know, that you get what you deserve. You can leave that to God and you are free to love radically and freely because real Christian love isn't even put into action until there's a dispute. Okay, let's talk about the next thing. So that's the test. Now let's talk about the paradox. Peter says at the end of verse nine, if you do this, if you bless those, those who hurt you, if you love those who aren't lovable, then you will, he says, obtain a blessing. You will obtain a blessing. In verses 10 through 12, Peter quotes from Psalm 34. He quotes from Psalm 34, and he's using that psalm to describe what this blessed life looks like, the blessings that come from not seeking revenge, but doing the right thing even when you're wronged. And basically, here's what this psalm says in that, that first part of it. He says this, If you will turn away from evil and do good, if you will turn away from evil and do good, then you will love life and see good days. You will love life and see good days. In other words, it's not just for the other person's sake. It's not just for God's sake, but it's for your own sake. If you want to love life and see good days, then don't hold on to bitterness. Love even when you've been hurt. And Peter sums up this principle in verse 13. Here's what he says. Now, who is there who will harm you if you're zealous for doing good? Who will harm you if you are zealous for doing good? So what Peter's doing here, he's laying out a principle Something that is generally true. Nine times out of ten, if you do good, then your life will go well. If you treat people well, people will treat you well in return. This is like a truism or like we might, we might call it a, a principle. You know, Peter's speaking like the writer of the Proverbs here, right? Giving principles for life that are generally true. Nine times out of ten, that is what is going to happen. Except, of course, when it doesn't. Right? Except when it doesn't. That's the exception. So Peter is speaking, again, like the writer of Proverbs. Who will harm you if you do what's right? 
Who will harm you if you do what's right? And here's what's so interesting about this. Remember, again, this is a principle, and, and with every principle, there are exceptions. And here's what's so interesting. Peter is talking about this principle to the very people who are experiencing the exception. They are the exception. They are the one time out of 10 when they are doing what is right. They're doing what is good, and they are being treated badly in return. The people he's writing to are living out the exception to this rule, and he still tells them the rule. I think on one hand it's because he says, hey, look, this rule, I know there are exceptions, but in general, come on, keep living it out. Don't become jaded. Don't become cynical. Keep doing this. But here's the thing. He's writing this to people, and he lays out this principle, but they themselves are the exception to the rule. They're like, wait, we are doing good and, uh, and not doing evil, and yeah, people are harming us. Like, that's the exact situation we're in. The book of Proverbs is full of these kinds of of principles, right? There are things that are generally true because there's an order and a working to the way that God made the world and the universe to work and and human nature, right? There's cause and effect. Things like this, like Proverbs says a lot of times, if you're lazy, then you will be poor. If If you're lazy, then you will be poor. But is that always true? No, there are exceptions to that, right? Generally, that's true. But are there exceptions? Yeah. Some people work really hard and they're still poor. Some people are lazy and they're not poor, right? So there are exceptions. Or how about this one? Raise up a child in the way they should go and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Or how about this one? Uh, Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely who conduct their affairs with justice. These are principles, They're generally true. But are there exceptions to these rules, to these principles? Are there occasions where somebody raises up their child in God's ways, but when the child is grown, they turn their back on God? Yeah, that happens. Are there times when someone is generous and gives and and they're fair and they do what's right, but people take advantage of them and they end up losing everything? Yes, that happens. Again, we need to understand the difference between principles and promises. Principles and promises. It's really important to understand that difference in the Bible because here's the thing. If you take something which is a principle, but you take it as a promise, and then you experience the exception to that rule, then you might come away feeling like God hasn't kept a promise, which wasn't a promise to begin with. It was a principle. Right? You might feel that God's word isn't true or that God didn't hold up his end of the bargain or do what he said he was going to do. So it's really important to understand the difference between a principle and a promise. What we have here, if you do good, then good things will happen to you. No one will harm you. That's not a promise. That's a principle. It's generally true. And there are exceptions to it. And these guys are living out the exception to it, right? 90% of the time it's true. But what about the 10% of the time when it's not true? What about the 10% of the time when you do what's good and you're treated badly? Why is it that sometimes that happens? Well, a few reasons, you know. One reason is some people in the world are just cruel. Some people are cruel. It's like that that guy in the Batman movie said, right? Uh, Albert or whatever the butler's name is. He told Batman, he said, there are some people who just want to watch the world burn. That's true. In other cases, it's, it's not because people are cruel that they hurt you. In some cases, it's because people are kind of clueless or clumsy, right? In other words, they aren't trying to hurt you. They're, they're not being malicious. They're just not very self-aware. Maybe they're completely self-absorbed, right? And you're just kind of the collateral damage of their self-absorption. See, look at verse 14. It says this, But even if you should suffer for doing what's right, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. That word blessed, it's a great word that's found throughout the Bible. And it's a word which, which is really hard to translate. 
and, uh, and translators in different languages and even in English translate it different ways at different times. The, the word is the Greek word makarios. It's the same word Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you if others revile you, etc. You know, it's a word. It's actually a word that is most often used for happy, right? It, it directly translates as happy. It's the word makarios, right? So you will be blessed if you suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed, happy. Another way that this can be translated is favored, favored by God. In other words, he's saying this, if you suffer for doing what is right, you will be blessed. You'll be happy. I'll be happy if I suffer for doing what's right. I'll be favored by God if I do suffer for what's doing, doing what's right. See, this is the paradox. Remember, that's our second point, the paradox of the Christian life. And it's this, the paradox of the Christian life is that we can be blessed, happy, favored at the same time that we're suffering. You can be blessed and happy and favored at the same time that you're suffering. See, Paul the Apostle talks about this paradox in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, it's an interesting letter, right? Like Paul was writing to certain people who were going around teaching something that we call power theology, or sometimes it's called a prosperity gospel, right? Power theology, prosperity gospel, whatever you call it, it's basically this, that they were saying that, hey, if you're right with God, and you do all the right things, right, and you do what God expects of you, then your life will be free of problems. You will be successful in your work. You will be wealthy monetarily. You'll never be sick, and you will never have any problems. And if you do have problems, those kinds of problems, well, that must be a sign that there's something wrong with you spiritually, that God isn't with you, that God doesn't support you. Maybe you're not very spiritual. Maybe there's something wrong in your life. And Paul the Apostle was like, all right, hang on a second. First of all, that's not even true. I mean, let's not forget this, right? That this whole Christianity thing that we're doing, it all began when an innocent man died for doing good, didn't he? It all began with the best person who's ever lived, the most perfect, most holy, most spiritual person who ever lived. And he what? He suffered. He died, even though he never did anything wrong. So that's straight out, okay? But not only is this kind of thinking wrong and basically wrong, right? It's, he says it's also dangerous. It's dangerous to think this way. Here's why. Because it leads to two things. It will always lead to one or two things. You end up riding the roller coaster, right? The roller coaster is this, pride and despair. Hi everyone, Pastor Nick here, inviting you to join us on Easter weekend this year as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, our Savior. Easter weekend begins on April 7th with Good Friday. We'll have two Good Friday services at 5 and 6.30 p.m. Then on Resurrection Sunday, join us at 6.15 a.m. for sunrise service. We have a beautiful location on our church property to watch the sunrise as we worship and celebrate. After sunrise service, we'll have three Easter Sunday services at 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. Bring your whole family and invite a friend to celebrate the good news that has changed the world and which can change your life personally. Our church is located at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information and directions, visit whitefieldschurch.com. Now, back to today's message. Pride and despair. When things are going well in your life, you're patting yourself on the back. You're feeling like you're better than others. It fills you with pride because it's all about you, right? You, you can pat yourself on the back because you're so good. That's why things are going well for you. And when they're not, again, it's that low point in the roller coasters, despair. 
oh, what am I doing wrong? Why is God mad at me? Etc. right? So it leads to pride and despair. But here's what Paul says about the paradox of the Christian life there in 2 Corinthians. I love this. He says this. He says, we are treated as imposters, and yet we are true. We are treated as unknown, and yet we are well known by God, of course, right? As dying, and yet behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means to live in that tension, the paradox of the Christian life. Even in the midst of suffering, you can be blessed, happy, favored by God. Why? Because these things are taking place on two different planes. Two different planes, the material and the spiritual. And in Christ, we've been made alive spiritually. And the spiritual realm is no less real than the physical realm. In fact, in some cases, you might say that it is more real because it will last forever. And so we live in this tension, in this paradox, where we can be blessed, happy, favored, even when we're suffering, because our blessing exists on a different plane, where it's untouched by this world or the circumstances of this life. Peter told us in chapter 1, our treasure is secure. It is kept in heaven for us. In other words, other people here on earth, they can't touch your blessing because they didn't give it to you. It's not kept here where moth and rust can destroy. It's kept up there where thieves can't break in and steal. They can't touch your joy. Nothing in this life can touch the source of your joy because it's outside of these things on this plane. See, the paradox of the Christian life is that you can be blessed, happy, favored, even in the midst of your suffering. And when you get that, when the gospel sinks in from your head down into your heart, when you really take hold of it, you know what it does? It gives you a bulletproof soul. A bulletproof soul. Because of the hope that we have in Jesus, you can have a bulletproof soul. soul. No matter what this world throws at you, whether it's sickness, hardship, suffering, conflicts, none of it can touch your soul. See, that's why the early Christians like Peter and Paul and so many others whose names we don't even know, they were able to endure hardship and suffering, slander, persecution, sickness, the worst that this life has to offer, and they were able to do it with joy and peace in their hearts that was overflowing. See, in verse 14, Peter told us that one of the things the gospel does in your life is that it sets you free from fear. It sets you free from fear. You remember that time in, in Matthew chapter 10? I love this story. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and they're, they're walking, and Jesus tells his disciples, guys, don't be afraid of people. And they're like, what do you mean? He's like, don't be afraid of people. They're like, what do, you, what do you mean? He says, you know what people can do? The worst they can do is kill you. And they're like, well, yeah, that's exactly what we're afraid that they're going to do. That's pretty much it, right? That is what we're afraid. And he says, yeah, they can kill you, but they can't touch your soul. They can't get to the real you. They can kill this body, but they can't touch the soul. Therefore, don't fear them, but fear God. Fear God who can deal with your soul and your body, right? They can't touch the real you. I love this, this verse from Amazing Grace, my favorite verse in the, the old hymn, right? It says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fears relieved. That's what grace does, right? It realigns your fears. It teaches you to fear God, but not fear anything else. Most of us, we fear the wrong things, right? But the gospel reorients our fear. And at the same time, right, we stop, we stop fearing people and circumstances. When we understand God's love and God's grace, the blessing and favor that he gives you in Jesus, it makes you bold like a lion. Think about a lion walking on the savannah. He's not afraid of nothing, right? He doesn't even have to hide, ever. See, the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, it gives you 
real boldness to live this life because your life, your real life is hidden with God in Christ. And so the circumstance of this life, whether good or bad, they don't touch who you are at the core, the real you, your real life. So the paradox of the Christian life is that you can be blessed even when you're suffering. You can have deep-rooted, unshakable joy in the depths of your soul even when your life is hard. You can know that you're favored by God even when your circumstances are less than ideal. And there's a freedom that comes with that. There's a freedom that knows that, hey, there are some things that I can control, but there are a lot of things that I can't, but they are not out of control. They're in the hands of a God who is sovereign and powerful and who loves me. See, two other things that you can control, verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord and be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the uh, reason for the hope that you have. And yet do it with gentleness and respect. So there are a lot of things that are outside of your control, but here are two things that you can control. Honor Christ in your heart. Make him number one, supreme. Give him that highest place of, um, you know, of loyalty and allegiance in your heart. And the other thing here you can control is this. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. This harkens back to what Peter talked about in chapter one, how we have a living hope in Jesus, a living hope, and this living hope causes us to live differently. It changes your whole outlook on life. And as you're walking around in this life with this hope and it causes you to live differently, people are gonna notice. They won't be able to not notice that there's something different about you. And there are gonna be opportunities that that presents when people ask you, hey, what's different about you? Why do you think this way? Why do you do the things that you do? What, what is different about you? And he says, so be prepared to give an answer, to tell people about the hope that you have. Here's the thing, remember this. You won't be prepared if you don't prepare, right? It's simple, right? You won't be prepared if you don't prepare. Let me ask you, how many of you, like when you were in school, there was a time when you had to give a book report on a book, but you hadn't read the book, right? Do you guys remember that, right? Like you're like, I don't know, The Great Gatsby, right? And you're like, you, the teacher's like, well, Nick, what did you think of the book? And I'm like, um, you know, I loved it. It was so good. There's so many things. It's hard to put my finger on one thing because it was all so good. I love the plot. The plot was just so uh, you know, dense, and uh, the character development was just so rich. I loved them all. And, you know, oh, what was your favorite part? You know, who was the character you like? Oh, I just can't put my finger on any one of them. They were all so good, right? And I think that for some of us, right, if you were asked tomorrow at work about your faith and about why you're a Christian and why do you go to church, what do you do? It, it's, for some of us, it's going to come out kind of like that book report about the book that you didn't actually read because you're not prepared, Right? And you kind of just stumble your way through it and, and not really say anything concrete or compelling. And so I want you to do this. I want you to think through this question. Think it through. What would you say if someone asked you to tell, asked you to tell them about your faith? What would you say if someone asked about your faith? Why Christianity? Why Jesus? Maybe you're going to be talking to somebody at work tomorrow and somehow through the conversation, the opportunity is going to present itself for you to talk about the hope that you have in Jesus, why you believe it, what you believe. So always be ready. And you won't be prepared, you won't be prepared unless you prepare. So prepare. As sojourners on a mission, it's good for us to think through what are some of the things that, that are hurdles for people when it comes to Christianity? What are some of the things that they might think is a barrier, which maybe it's not a real barrier, and you can help remove it by having gracious words and thoughtful words? You know, this is one of the reasons why we do some of the things we do here at Whitefield. It's why we do our school of ministry, to help train you to give an answer and to be prepared to be used by God in this world, to understand what you believe and why you believe it and how to talk about it. 
It's one of the reasons why we do our, our uh, study guide for our community groups the way we do it, is to help you grow, not just so you understand your faith, but so that you can share it with others. Another thing you have control of, verse 16, he says, live with a good conscience. So when you're slandered, uh, people might revile your name, but in the end, they, they'll, there'll be nothing to base it on. Verse 17, he says, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. Did you catch that? He said that quick phrase, didn't he? That sometimes it can actually be God's will for you to suffer. It can actually be God's will for you to suffer. Now, how can that be? How could it ever be God's will for one of his children to suffer? And that leads us to our final point in this section, our third point, which is this, the power. Look at what he says in verse 18. This will be our final verse. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, but, be, but made, li- made alive in the Spirit. See, all of Christianity is based on the fact that God allowed an innocent man, Jesus, to suffer so that guilty people, that's us, could go free. So Jesus, the Son of God, suffered according to the will of God in order to accomplish God's plan of bringing us to him. There's an interesting thing that caught my attention this week, and that's this, that if you look back to chapter one, Peter has this phrase that he uses to describe the gospel. And here's what it is. In verse, chapter one, verse 11, he says this, the gospel is the sufferings of Christ and the glories that followed. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that followed. See, here in verse 18, Peter's talking about Jesus' sufferings, but if you look to the end of the chapter, he talks about Jesus' glory that he received. His glory that he received. Now he's resurrected. He's seated at the right hand. All authority and power has been put under his feet. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus suffered according to the will of God. And that suffering wasn't in vain. Rather, that suffering resulted in glory, not just for him, but also for us. And here's the good news. If your faith is in Jesus and he is in you, then that same dynamic is true in your life as well. See, the promise of the gospel is not that if you trust in Jesus that you won't have any problems in your life. No, look at Jesus, right? He was right with God and he had problems, didn't he? He had conflicts. He was wronged by people. The promise of the gospel is not that if your faith is in Jesus, you won't have any problems. Rather, the promise of the gospel is that in your trials, in your sufferings, They will not be in vain, but God will use them for good. That's what that famous verse says in Romans 8, 28, right? Right, that we know that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. See, in Christ, you can know that your suffering is not in vain, that God redeems it and he uses it for good. And one day he will bring you into glory that is not even worth comparing with the sufferings you currently endure. And what that does is this. When you get that, it gives you the power to live boldly and to love radically. Live boldly and love radically. Where do you get the power to forgive others and love even when you've been wrong? It comes from Jesus who loved me and he loved you in that way. It comes from Jesus who not only suffered for doing good, but his suffering was not in vain. The power to do these things comes from Jesus who's risen and exalted and not only sits at the right hand of the Father, but by his spirit he dwells in those who have embraced the gospel by faith. And if that's you, right, what does that mean? That the power to do these things comes from him living his life in you. See, there's a lot more in these final verses that I don't want to rush through. And so we're going we're gonna to wait for next week to go into depth on some of those things. But for today, I want to leave you with this. If you have embraced Jesus and by faith embraced what he has done for you, then you can live boldly and you can love radically even when you are wronged. 
See, not only is it uh, what he did for you, but if the gospel is true, and it is, right? If the gospel is true, and it is, then you have nothing to lose. You know that? You have nothing to lose. And therefore, you have nothing to fear. Because your life, your real life, is hidden with God in Christ, and now he lives in you. And so look to Jesus and live as a sojourner on a mission. Amen? Please stand with me and let's pray. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you lived that way for us. You lived in this world, though you were not of this world, but you didn't live here as a tourist or as a prisoner. Lord, you lived here as a missionary. Lord, help us that we would have that same heart. Lord, fill us with that kind of loving compassion towards each other. Lord, when we are wronged, Lord, that is the opportunity for us to get to live out the kind of love that you have poured into our hearts by your spirit. So Lord, I pray that we would do that. I pray we wouldn't shirk away from these things, but that we'd press into them. And that as a result, Lord, we would grow. Lord, we pray that you bless our body. We pray that like you said in your word, that we would be united and that we would have the mind of Christ. And Lord, may that be true of us. And may we be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. And we pray that people would ask, Lord, that as they see our lives, they would see something different and they would ask and that at that moment, we would be ready. And Lord, we ask that you'd use us and do good work through us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.